the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Continue to enjoy your best lawn ever with Lawn Doctor of Rhode Island. Contact them today for a free quote, 401-392-1025 or online, LawnDoctor.com. A lot more summer ahead plus the fall. Lawn Doctor of Rhode Island, your best lawn ever, guaranteed. Call for a free quote today, 401-392-1025. Find out also about keeping your family safe from ticks and mosquitoes, Lawn Doctor of Rhode Island. Check out their website. It's LawnDoctor.com or call today for a free quote, 401-392-1025. It's Monday, August 30th. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. Well, I, I don't understand, you know, folks, the, the Biden presidency has just beyond come crashing down uh, just in the in the past, really just in the past week. And the fact, you know, there's certain things that you could say wasn't his fault, kind of fell in that way, what have you. But the fact that who put the watch on him, that as you're standing there and honoring the 13 service members who were killed at the at the Kabul airport and just I mean it absolutely gut-wrenching watching the remains arriving at the airport and and he's looking at his watch now the fallen US troops I want to play there was a good piece on this on uh, ABC those 13 service members is so striking. All of those killed in Kabul were just children, some just infants. When the war in Afghanistan began, their remains now back on U.S. soil. A solemn, heartbreaking day at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. Sunday, President Biden attending the dignified transfer of the flag-draped remains of 13 U.S. service members killed in the suicide attack at Kabul airport while helping evacuate more than 100,000 Afghan allies and American citizens. The fallen include 11 Marines, a Navy hospital corpsman, and an Army soldier, all of them so young. The country pausing to mourn to honor their sacrifice. Marine Lance Corporal David Espinosa, just 20 years old. Marine Sergeant Nicole G, 23 years old. Days before her death, she was featured in this photo, cradling an Afghan baby at the Kabul airport, writing on Instagram, I love my job. Marine Staff Sergeant Darren Taylor Hoover from Salt Lake City at 31, the oldest. His father calling him one heck of a leader. Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Noss, 23. Marine Corporal Hunter Lopez, 22. Marine Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, 20, of Jackson, Wyoming, was just weeks away from becoming a father. Marine Lance Corporal Dylan Marola, 20. Marine Lance Corporal Kareem Nikowe, 20, from Norco, California. His father saying he did not hesitate to be called to duty. Marine Corporal Dagan William Tyler Page, 23. Marine Sergeant Johanny Rosario Picardo, 25. Marine Corporal Umberto Sanchez, 22. Marine Lance Corporal Jared Schmitz, 20. Navy Corpsman Maxton Soviak, 22. His father told a reporter that in the last FaceTime with their son, his mother told him to be safe. He said, don't worry, Mom. My guys got me. They won't let anything happen to me. She now realizes that they all just went together. All together, all doing heroic work, trying to save the lives of others. You know, folks, just it is absolutely gut-wrenching to go through that. They need to be remembered. Of course, they, they are so young. And I think it's, as she pointed out, that's Martha Raddatz, who I thought was very good over the course of the weekend. She filled in on one of the Sunday shows in, um, and, and even Senator Sass saying, you know, the, the actions of the Biden administration, folks, let's go to it. 
It's just terrible they, military bland, blunders. Given Let's hear that it. that the Taliban said this date was a red line, given that ISIS is now carrying out these horrendous bombings and threatening more violence, wouldn't staying have put our forces more at risk? Joe Biden put our forces at risk by having no plan for how to evacuate. We are absolutely at risk, and we are at risk because the president has been so unbelievably weak. Abandoning Bagram base will be read about in military textbooks for decades as one of the stupidest military blunders ever. And the president has tried to claim that somehow, somehow his military advisors were for this. That isn't true. What is true is that the Biden politicals at the White House told the military, we're going to get down to only a couple hundred folks, and then we're going to get down to zero quickly. Therefore, they couldn't defend Bagram. And so we've been relying on the Taliban to provide security around the perimeter of an urban, mostly civilian airport that has a single runway. We have been in a ridiculously untenable position for the sake of evacuating these folks and keeping our word. Americans keep their word. It's 13 servicemen and women died this week. And our, our families across this country are in prayer for those families and for the ultimate sacrifice they have made. But they were doing something to make sure that no one was left behind. The commander in chief should be doing the same, which is make sure that no one is left behind. You know, that is um, Senator Ben Sass. He's exactly right. And I also want to go to folks, you know, I watch and always have a lot of the Sunday shows. I, I don't remember the last time I saw someone uh, Senator Blinken, who uh, to me at this point, I, I, I don't, you know, what's Senator, uh, excuse me, Secretary Anthony Blinken, um, Secretary of State. I, what is still amazing to me is no one has lost their job. No one has lost their position. And Martha Raddatz, to her credit, really pressed him yesterday saying the commitment to our Afghan allies doesn't end on the 31st, but your spokesman said the airport will not be open on September 1st, and the Taliban obviously can't secure its safety even when U.S. forces are present. So how do you realistically think any American citizens or Afghan partners who are left behind will be able to fly out? What would you say to them on how to get out? Martha, a few things. First, um, just uh, about 24 hours ago, a very senior Taliban uh, leader spoke on television and on the radio throughout Afghanistan and repeatedly assured the Afghan people that they would be free to travel after uh, August 31st. Oh, uh, and he, but, but Secretary what? Blinken, they do not trust that. I, I mean, I know about? you say you don't trust the oh Taliban, but now God. you're telling me we should trust what the Taliban I'm said. Not, Those no, people not, in I'm not, hiding. I'm not saying that, Martha. I'm not saying we should trust the Taliban. Well, then what are you on, saying? On I'm simply reporting what. One of their senior leaders said, oh, "No uh, one the believes people, them." He specifically cited as well uh, uh, those who worked for Americans and uh, any other Afghan for whatever reason. So that's point one. Oh, okay, point but I, I want to go back to that. You're you're trying to reassure our Afghan allies. They're not reassured. No those interpreters who aren't getting out. They're not reassured by a statement like that. That's right. So what more so, can you tell them to get out? How to get out? Certainly. And Martha, that was just point one. Point two is this. Um, 114 countries have made very clear that it is their expectation that the Taliban will oh, uh, uh, freedom of travel going past uh, August uh, 31st. So that is a clear expectation across the entire world, across the entire international community. Third, we have very significant leverage uh, to um, work uh, with over the uh, weeks and months ahead to incentivize the Taliban to make good uh, on its commitments. Fourth, we've been very actively planning for um, what would be necessary to keep the airport functioning, uh, either to uh, have it function um, right immediately after the 31st, or uh. if necessary, to take the steps uh, required to reopen it uh, in a timely fashion, working with uh, countries in the region who are very interested in helping. The Taliban have a strong interest in having an airport that functions. The Afghan people have a strong interest in an airport that functions. The entire international community has that interest. Finally, um, while the airport is critical and we're this determined guy to see that, uh, that it remains open or that it reopens quickly, this should uh, not there be are Secretary other ways State. to leave uh, Afghanistan, including uh, by road. And many countries border Afghanistan. That's too, a very dangerous trip. Again, yes. The Taliban is um, serious about the commitments that it's repeatedly uh, made in public, including nationally across the country. Since, since well when did they become cheerleaders the for the Taliban? The intends to hold the Taliban to. Uh, 
Well, it's a challenge to run your business these days. Maybe you need to find the right type of workers. Why not let MEGA professionals find them for you? Call MEGA professionals today, serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts, 508-336-7801. MEGA, M-E-G-A, professionals, 508-336-7801. Maybe if you need workers, maybe you have workers and won't come back to work. You need drivers, certified help, part-time full-time, maybe weekend work, you need the professionals at MEGA Professionals. Let them find the workers for you. They screen them all out. They send them right over to you. Serving Rhode Island, Massachusetts, call them today, 508-336-7801. Maybe you need mechanics or skilled labor or warehouse workers, office workers, professionals, even those in the healthcare profession. MEGA Professionals, call them today, 508 508- 336-7801. Again, 508-336-7801. You focus on your business. Let MEGA professionals help you find the workers. MEGA professionals, 508-336-7801. Have you been thinking about updating your website? Do you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business? Would you like a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional who has been doing this work for 23 years? Contact Karen Etchells at Innovast Digital Marketing. Karen will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Call Karen Etchells at 401-321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www. This summer, let J.K.L. Engineering keep you and your family nice and cool. J.K.L. Engineering, call them today, 401-351-7600. They're licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. J.K.L., it's going to be a hot summer ahead. Call J.K.L. Engineering today. Estimates are free. Financing is available. Remember, with J.K.L., 54 years in business, Reputation is second to none, especially for technical expertise, customer satisfaction. JKL is an approved National Grid VPI installer. They're also a Navian certified factory dealer. Call JKL for a system replacement, oil to gas for a heat pump. Estimates are free. Financing is available this summer. Call JKL Engineering right now. Remember, they do it right. They do it right the first time. They'll keep you and your family or your employees nice and cool. Call JKL, 401-351-7600. Remember, JKL Engineering, licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts, a carrier factory authorized dealer. It's JKL. Call them, 401-351-7600. This summer, stay nice and cool with JKL Engineering, 401-351-7600. You're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, tobetro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining me, he is the managing editor at anchorrising.com. It is Justin Katz. Justin, I'd like to start off with the story that just completely overtook, dominated the news, rightfully so. Uh, But that is that Governor McKee's chief of staff, Tony Silva, uh, and the governor saying he, you know, it was his move to do this, but it is... um, I don't remember the last time, actually, this this happened, if ever, that I remember a chief of staff of a governor now being investigated by the state police, the attorney general's office. Silva did talk. Uh, I think still the only interview he did was Tim White kind of caught up to him as he was leaving the state house. I was at the briefing on Tuesday. The governor was kind of trying to defend him a little bit. And this whole business, what I considered was a no-show job that that this Tony Silva had in Cumberland. But let's start off. I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on this story. That's that's different. The chief of staff of the governor, they've only been in office for five months, is now being investigated by the state police and the attorney general based on this land, potential land deal in Cumberland. Yeah, it's a very, to me, it's a very kind of complicated and and nuanced uh, controversy because, Really, what's that? What's objectionable here is 
kind of how well Silva has done in the public sector. You know, how many hands he's had, how many uh, pots he's had his hand in, yep. uh, how many jobs he's able to carry all at the same time while holding, say, a six-figure job in a lieutenant governor's office and now a six-figure job in a governor's office. Uh, it just, that's what's really objectionable. And I don't know, you, you know, when you when you hear of an attorney general and state police investigating, it's... It, I don't know that I would say there's been a crime here per se. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of ethics stuff, a lot of stuff that they shouldn't have done and shows kind of the arrogance of, of the establishment in Rhode Island. But it's not as if he was, you know, somebody was killed or, or I don't believe there's any accusations of laundering money or anything like that. It was kind of influence peddling at, at most. And uh, so it, it just to me is very, it, it, the whole, the whole thing, gets to why it's difficult to it's kind of it's not healthy to have such a one-party establishment state because they just get so sloppy that's what i mean from his point of view what really struck me was why get that sloppy i mean the whole thing was i i gather unless i'm missing something in the story is he was trying to trying to push pressure uh the dem and local government to let him build on wetlands uh, for a house uh, you know when you're making multiple six figures in the public sector uh, with all your deals. Why bother trying to build on wetlands? It just, it just blows my mind. That part is kind of, there's an arrogance to it. Uh, and I, I think that's, that's where my, my focus goes. I, I do worry. I, I mean, a lot of my, part of my problem with this, this issue is I, I do worry that things like the code of ethics, where people have to disclose every investment they have. I know people who, just won't won't volunteer or run for office because the idea of having to just go through all their investments and disclose everything is just objectionable on its face to them. Uh, so that's where I kind of have a, a barrier there for some of these stories. But the idea that he had multiple teaching gigs, a construction job, uh, seems to be building and flipping houses, perhaps, and at least in, in effect, if not deliberately. Uh, the idea that 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 would be possible for somebody who's supposedly worth $150,000 in the Lieutenant governor's office and $200,000 in the governor's office. That, that just blows your mind. And I think that's where a lot of our focus ought to be uh, as a public. Yes. And, and, and actually, you know, just to, to be clear, uh, most of the time political corruption, uh, they very rarely involve the crime of murder or anything like that, but they can be forms of influence peddling, extortion using the office for personal gain in this particular situation um i i think it i believe it it could certainly evolve into a a a, a, a crime was committed and that is you know it seems very shaky in this market as far as housing which is so desirable in cumberland because a lot of people who commute to boston reside in cumberland so the ability to take a piece of land in a in a residential neighborhood Maybe, yes, build a house, but then flip it, you know, in this this market, you're seeing people paying, you know, five hundred, six hundred thousand for a house. So get a piece of land, you're able to flip it pretty quick. That's that's a pretty quick buck in order to flip to to make that kind of kind of money. I think where he runs into problem is problems, I should say, is the fact that it was very odd that DEM uh, suddenly said, yeah, you can build in this, even though it's ninety five percent wetland, this piece of of land there's no indication that you know silva wanted to live there or his son or anything but what's most disturbing is then what we've learned is that he contacted the the mayor of cumberland jeff mutter and hey let's get a coffee but the whole focal point of the conversation is basically i'm gonna i'm gonna you know develop this land and even the text messages of um of I'm going to take my name off to make it easy for you seem to be Silva interpreted that the mayor was uneasy with this, but enough that the mayor picked up the phone and called Governor McKee after the, the conversation to, to, you know, from what I understand, to vent his dismay that he was uncomfortable with the way he was approached by Silva. I think it's yet to be seen what happened at that the DEM, that they, they announced there'd be no public hearing on this. So this is highly unusual. So, I think there's a lot of moving pieces here, but I also think Justin Katz, you know, these guys were chomping at the bit to get into the governor's office and there was the delay. And then after, you know, uh, now Secretary Raimondo kind of going back and forth, finally they got in and 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 I've seen this at times. Some people view it as this is our chance to like 
really cash in being in charge. And as, as you bring up, other chiefs of staffs have said they never had extra time for all these extra jobs. It would almost seem as if, you know, Governor McKee took his eye off the ball, allowing Tony Silva to continue to operate as though they were still in the lieutenant governor's office. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one thing you, I've, I haven't been involved at this level in any administration, but you would, I've always sort of expected uh, somebody like a governor to have have staff members kind of vetting each other. You know, somebody sits down with your your six your two hundred thousand dollar chief of staff and says, "Okay, you need to disclose to me everything that might become a political liability here," uh, and that that's where that sort of thing ought to come out. Uh, but so I, I think I think you're you're exactly correct on on that on that front. I do wonder. I mean, you raise a great point on on flipping property, and that's where political influence as as the yes. As the rules get harder and harder, like wetlands, the the, val- the value of that property goes down, down, down because you can't develop it. So you buy it right. cheap, and if you have the political power to flip it, uh, to flip the get a variance or whatever, then you can you can make a lot of money. And I, I wonder if that that suggests maybe in a housing crisis, looking at how strict we are about wetlands. Uh, but I think I think there is a distinction, though, to salvage some of my point from before. The There is a distinction between, say, here's an envelope full of money. Yes. Vote my way and kind of, hey, hey, buddy, I'm trying to develop this land. Is there anything we can do here? I mean, that, there, there is a line there, uh, but, but, which is why it goes back to me that blows my mind that that they would just be so arrogant when when is enough enough i mean he's getting a 20 something thousand dollar pension i think already and, and he's multiple jobs i mean at some point you say you know what i'm just going to be clean as a whistle uh because i i've got a really good thing going here and that that as a as a rhode islander is what's offensive to me is that it, it's it seems to be never enough there's oh they always want that angle they always want to push for more and I, I that's what you know we we pay these people so much money more than we probably should at some point you know maybe maybe we need to start evaluating whether whether we ought to be paying that much money if they're still even then going out and looking for all these angles to make cash in their influence yes and i mean the most famous that i can think of is the famous cranston land deal which is there was some people, I think it was a woman, I, I, I think I interviewed her one time, but they owned a piece of property in Western Cranston. They were trying to get it developed for uh, or zoned for commercial. They could not. They did what you normally do. They hired an attorney. They were trying. They went through the proper process that got turned down as a result of, all right, it's not worth having this because we can't zone it commercial. They sold it to, it was Dennis Dupree. And somehow they got a hold of the land, and in one day, they got it. They got it zoned commercial, and in one day, flipped it for two million and made a two million dollar profit, like in literally in one day. So that's when then people. Now that's an extreme example, but um, I think one thing that I I take issue uh, with Governor McKee when I was at the the briefing, and then plus he was getting the, that extra money for the job in Cumberland, but. Governor McKee was trying to say, hey, I, I've sat with people and I was the mayor of constituents that have concerns and things like this all the time. But what I take issue with that is there's a difference, Justin, as Tony Silva was sitting there across from the mayor. He's not just, hey, I'm Tony Silva, a Cumberland resident. He's the governor's chief of staff and everything that comes with it. <clears throat> and and much like when someone is sitting there saying, you know, can you what do you, can you help me out on this or something like that? You know, I don't know exactly what was said after that, but the let's you know the the, the office of the governor comes with tremendous power and influence, and uh, and I'm very anxious to hear how the the people of DEM, especially how they justify, uh, you know, there was no going to be no public hearing on this. All the people in the neighborhood were shocked that then DEM approved it to be developed because it just seemed to be one of those pieces of land that that uh, for for different reasons it was obviously because of wetlands it was just. You know, 95 percent wetland, it just wasn't going to be developed. But I think the the public hearing is something to watch. And then the the uh, testimony of the, the, the mayor of Cumberland, who I think did the right thing. He did step up and said, hey, listen, I don't like the way this guy's coming across. And from what I understand, there was some thing, other things said that have been public yet. 
that came out in the uh, in their conversation that that further drove him to pick up the phone and call the governor and say, I want to relay to you a conversation I just had with your chief of staff. And it left me very uncomfortable. Folks, we're well, going to take a, Oh, go ahead. The, go ahead. Justin. That's a, uh, I mean, that's a positive sign that there was, yes. there was resistance to it. So. Yeah, yeah. I was uncomfortable with that. And I mean, it'd be great to think that that happened over almost nothing. And that it, they all, they all ought to be in government so tuned to corruption that it's, Hey, hey we had coffee. We talked about our kids softball game, but I'm still uncomfortable. I mean, if we were getting feedback at that level, I don't think anybody would be too worried, but to raise another, another interesting angle to this is that uh, we really also need to evaluate things like the DEM, where we give we give these boards the ability to essentially wave away the law uh, sure. over 95% wetlands on a vote. I mean, that kind of thing, maybe maybe we need to reevaluate that. And if you can't have a consistent standard that has no exceptions, then maybe you don't have the rule in the first place. Those are some of the areas that Rhode Island overall structurally could, could make life better and also re- reduce the potential for corruption. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I mean, let's face it, it, when he was lieutenant governor, chief of staff dealing with DEM, you know, they regarded him one way. Suddenly now his team takes the field and they're in control of the, you know, the big yeah. office at the state house. And suddenly DEM changes their tune. Um, yeah. I think there's some questions that need to be answered there. Folks, quick break. A lot more politics this week with Justin Katz right here on the John DePietro show. MEGA truck and trailer repair. Call them today. Commercial trailers, diesel equipment, serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts, 508-336-2110. 508-336-2110 for MEGA, M-E-G-A, MEGA truck and trailer repair. As I said, commercial trailers, diesel equipment, free estimates, FHWA inspections and Rhode Island State Inspection Station, trailer pickup and delivery, 24-hour mobile service, Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts, it's MEGA Truck and Trailer Repair. Call them today, 508-336-2110, 24-hour mobile service, and also ABS repairs, brakes, doors. Listen, if it's on a trailer, MEGA Truck and Trailer Repair, they can repair it. Call them today, 508-336-2110, 508-336-2110, it's MEGA Truck and Trailer Repair. Our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, uh, I'd like your feedback on how you think Governor McKee is handling COVID. Um, I don't think the, if you want to call it effort of it's time to get vaccinated, I I don't think that's resonating. Um, The numbers are getting worse. I, I think he's in a vulnerable position because... As we've seen now, the primary is going to be a year from from next September. And so he he seems to be, you know, right now it's just encouraging businesses to wear the masks and and uh, going along with the, the, the statewide school mandate. But I, I think now he seems very open to a subject to if he's going to get pushback from Nellie Gobi and Seth Magaziner, he seems to be very willing to kind of go in the direction that they're pushing him. Yeah, I, I think uh, this is sometimes with McKee, it seems you you get this kind of vacillation where you suspect his his managerial and business experience uh, are pushing him one way, but the need to win a Democrat primary next year is pushing him another way. And I think he, in that regard, he's more so in a bind. A, a lot of public health officials and government uh, officials are in right now that they're I don't think they're not going to get the level of cooperation from the public they did last year you know churches willingly closing for months and that kind of thing I just don't I don't see that happening uh, and at the same time we're getting a lot of information about you know the vaccine at first it was supposed to stop it and it was as good as natural immunity then it was oh it just makes you less sick and now I'm starting to see studies where they're suggesting possibly the fact that it just makes you less sick but you still catch the virus means that it it actually helps the makes it easier for variants to develop and for resistance to the vaccine and antibiotics and stuff to to become part of the virus's uh, portfolio, so to speak. And as we get into that kind of information, you're just not going to be able to say, now's the time, go get vaccinated. That has to change. And uh, so what, what I'm disappointed in, I think we need, we need kind of a new direction and some, some all right. If we're going to be putting on masks, 
uh, it can't just be at the whim of the public health officials to say, yeah, we kind of, yeah, you know what, uh, well, let's, let's do masks now. That's not going to work. You need standards. This is the number, masks go on. This is the number, masks go off. And better yet, let's rethink everything. Maybe it's not everybody getting vaccinated. Let's do real analysis and research on whether whether maybe we just let people go about their lives because natural immunity is proving to be as or better uh, effective than the vaccine and maybe give the vaccine to people who are vulnerable and boosters every three months, as we're hearing from the Biden administration. I, I just don't think the public's tolerance for this is not not going to come back to where it was a year ago. And that puts them in a bind if they're just going to continue to believe that vaccination is the the way out of it. In that, and I think that the message of it's time is if people have been delaying, you know, putting it off. Oh, I meant to do that. I need to renew my license. The, there are certain groups emerging. For instance, you know, it's high profile that Cam Newton, the quarterback of the Patriots, that he, you know, hasn't been vaccinated, won't get vaccinated. It's it hurt. It's hurt him as far as the Patriot preseason. But a, a big group that's emerging, Justin Katz, it's as much as they want to blame the Trump people. It's adult black men. Right now, that is, if you look at different studies and different articles about it, that's the largest group seemingly that is not getting vaccinated. And just on a local level, I, I see no direct messaging to that group. I don't see anything targeted to that group. I, I think something that the McKee uh, administration has done wrong is, and it's kind of that whole thing of Dr. Scott of everything is equity and you're going to treat everyone the same. And it doesn't make sense if there's one group that's largely standing out that is not getting the vaccination and you want them to. You have to target that group with a specific message. Instead, it, everything just seems to be equal across the board. Yeah, well, I think I think that you raise a really good point there. The, the equity to me, that's really more a signal that ev- everything is kind of being seen through a political lens. And I think that's where yes. you get, as you as you allude, you know, you get this idea that, well, there's a problem with people not getting vaccinated. It must be those conservatives, those Trump people. You know, that that's the, the narrative they need for politics. And and that's kind of has to go to the side when you're dealing with public health. I do think I do wonder because uh, minorities tend to be more urban and the urban areas have have suffered more under the virus, at least in caseloads. Uh, I wonder if if they would ease up on vaccine, 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 and maybe start doing antibody tests are just as good as the vaccine. If you can prove you had the virus, then you don't need the vaccine. They might cover a lot of that urban ground without without even breaking a sweat. And they might discover that kind of thing if they actually talk to constituents. And I think that goes back to the identity politics thing. You know, it's 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 comforting, I think, to a certain type of progressive technocrat to say we can we can divide everybody up by groups and understand them and it's comforting because then you don't have to actually talk to anybody and maybe if they part of messaging to a particular constituency is understanding that constituency and asking them why are you not getting the vaccine and you might hear something that surprises you i had the virus i don't need the vaccine in which case great you're immune uh those are the kinds of things it's it's almost mind-boggling that we've gotten to such a political uh so politically mired in this identity politics and and everything is politics that we can't just it's almost like we're we're preventing ourselves from having a rational pu- public health policy Folks, again, our segment is Politics This Week. With me is Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Justin, before we take a break, I'm not sure if you caught it last week, but Nicole Salas, uh, who certainly the, the mom from South Kingstown, who was brought in on the school committee, they were going to sue her. And then we learned that they actually even hired a PR firm to come up with talking points to trash her. has to do with critical race theory. But she had a pretty visible back and forth with Bob Walsh of NEA Rhode Island Teachers Union. And he was just so condescending to her and wished her happy birthday, but in a very condescending way and uh, really mocking her that they were dragging her in a lawsuit. Again, what, what I think she's also uncovering is he still just remains untouched by the media. I will tell you, the media is intimidated by him. They're afraid of him. He's, as I'd like to, he's not an educator. He is a union negotiator. He's a bully but by all accounts, uh, you won't see anyone in the in the local media that I've seen uh, call him out, even though his actions and communication with Nicole was totally inappropriate. Yeah, I mean, there was a time 15, 20 years ago when 
<laughs> the, the NEA, particularly with their one of their activists, uh, Pat Crowley, would would had a, a capacity for being embarrassed by political behavior. That seems yep. to be gone. And what what I find most interesting with with Nicole Solis is it's almost like I don't know how old she is compared to me, but it's almost like watching a new generation come in. I mean, when when I was first getting involved. I'll, there were a few of us still trying to, we were still figuring out the game. I mean, we were still discovering how step increases work in teachers' contracts and, and being astonished that they were getting six to 10% raises every year automatically and top of, you know, so we were still learning the game. Uh, so we, we kind of just went along with the idea that, um, that the teachers unions were just part of a, a good faith part of the political establishment. And certainly the media pushes that idea. Uh, and so, you know, you talk to them and they're just, you know, folks you'll, you'll gab with on Twitter, or if you see them at uh, the OSHA state follies or whatever. Um, but now that's gone to the side, partly because they've been exposed and partly I think because unions have just thrown off the mask and they were just such, so obviously progressive activist organizations that I think, we're seeing now a kind of a new generation who just they're, they're not going to play the game anymore. I mean, I've seen Nicole go after WPRI for their, their handling of her yes. uh, and, and their coddling of the teachers union. And, and, you know, it's good for her. I mean, but I think it, a lot of it is just over the past decade, that mask has come off. And I, part of it feels like uh, feels almost like the, the unions know they are so powerful. They can't be touched, which hopefully that kind of conceit uh it will be their un, undoing, but I, I, I do think, but in the whole, in the whole, I do not, I think a lot, as I've said before, I think a lot of the goal of, of Bob Walsh and the NEA uh, in this was not to, to harm Nicole or to, to block her APRA request so much as to send messages to other oh, yeah. parents. She's just collateral damage, you know? Yeah. And, and She's no, just like not, to make an example of someone like that. Exactly. And not and other parents aren't, aren't going to know they can't necessarily count on getting on Tucker Carlson. They can't count on the Goldwater Institute right. ending every lawsuit that might come their way. And so I think to some extent, this was a what do they call it? A modified limited hangout by the NEA where they they'll take a little bit of political heat, which is what would help explain why. Bob Walsh is on Twitter with that kind of inappropriately callous attitude uh, because they succeeded in what they wanted to do here. So on the whole, they made a political calculation and it was a win. Hopefully, you know, they, they stepped too far and, and other people will start coming forward willing to, to fight back. Uh, but I think on the whole, the general public less and less is going to believe that, you know, this, this is just some friendly organization. As you say all the time, you know, they call Bob Walsh to be you know, the, an education expert for panels in the media. And I think more and more Joke. people are not, are not going to fall for that. Yeah. Folks, again, quick break. A lot more politics this week with Justin Katz right here on the John DePietro Show. Calvino, call for a free consultation today, 401-785-9400 or online fightbackcalljack.com. Were you or a friend or a member of your family in an auto accident, motorcycle accident, slip and fall, workplace injury, fight back, call Jack, free consultation, 401-785-9400. 50 years personal injury law experience and his office 100 years combined total with the staff. Fight back. Call Jack, 401-785-9400. It would be great if you were in an auto accident, motorcycle accident, slip and fall, workplace injury, and the other person's insurance company offered to compensate you what they should, but it doesn't happen that way. You need a fighter. Fight back. Call Jack. Free consultation, 401-785-9400. Jack Calvino, 401-785-9400, or online, fightbackcalljack.com. Our segment is Politics This Week. Uh, with me is Justin Katz, managing editor at anchorrising.com. Justin, obviously, we focus on local politics, but I'm curious and, and anxious, uh, I should say, to hear, interested in your thoughts on just what was a defining week with the Biden presidency with the catastrophe of Afghanistan. Let me just frame it as, I think it really, it, it, it undermines, as Governor McKee is saying, we're going to follow, and I was on a conference call with President Biden, and we're going to follow his guidance and that. 
I don't even think they realize that I think that has changed. And, and like, I know I was sitting there alarmed. Like, what are you listening to them for? <laughs> like that, that, like, I don't think they fully have vetted out. I don't know if you want to toss around. Yeah. The Biden administration signed off on this plan. So go right ahead, Justin. <laughs> yeah, you, you almost want to ask, you know, Mr. McKee, what was your impression of the president? Yeah. Did he seem like he could tie his own shoes? I mean, it's one thing after another with this administration. Uh, Jen Psaki, the spokesperson, uh, somewhat slipped and, and called it the worst day of the, of Biden's presidency. And, you know, it's still new. It's still young. <laughs> There's plenty of time to go for a worse day than this. At one th- just everything is like an image. I mean, he comes out and says, uh, I was instructed to call on right. this particular reporter. Yes. What, who instructed you? You're the president. Or when uh, was it Steve Ducey from Fox News was bantering back and forth, which things and the contrast here with Trump is an enormous. I mean, he would his press conferences were essentially him up there like in a batting cage you know, with with the, the press shooting baseballs at him. And he was just hitting them all away uh, here. It's, it's almost like he gets one bad question and the and the president of the the leader of the free world, as we used to call the president, you know, bows his head down in, yes. in an image of what people are calling uh, the image of America's shame. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where we are with this. It's 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 bad. It's really really bad. And I, I don't is. think Biden is aware of it. Uh, it's getting increasingly clear he's not running the show. No. Uh, and, and I'm finding uh, yesterday on, when he was on, asked a question in the middle of. The, the hurricane stuff, he said, well, they told me I'm not supposed to talk about Afghanistan. And as you would say, who told you that? Like, I can't believe he's see, this is the problem. When someone reaches that point, they don't use their own judgment to not talk about it. They they say they told me not to talk about it. Or I'm told this is who I'm supposed to call on first. He doesn't even compute that he's not supposed to announce that. Um, it's it's just that's like, you, you know, what you see is what you get. He just blurts it out in that way. Yeah, because he, 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 I mentally he, he just does not seem to be there. It just I I don't know where this goes, and you can tell a lot of it's almost only the the most uh, dogged anti-Trumpers are are still you know still willing to to kind of defend Biden in this. Uh, I'm thinking of people like former Rhode Island Public Radio and Providence Journal reporter Scott McKay. He's still out there. You know, we did the right thing. I, but it, I think most of America is concluding, and you see this in his, in Biden's poll numbers, most of America is concluding that the last election was was a big, big, big boo-boo, big error, uh, yeah. unforced error at that. And what's, so it's kind of, as you started by asking about, I, it's kind of surprising that other Democrats like McKee aren't kind of backing off of them as quickly as they can uh, and saying, well, we're, we're not relying on the, the federal administration. We're making our own plans and, and we'll take whatever help we can get. You know, that kind of rhetoric is what I would expect to start seeing more and more of. Cause it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost hard to believe this isn't just some, some movie, some gag that, <laughs> that uh, the Hollywood's playing on us. It's, it's getting that bad. Now, uh, Justin, two other stories that I do want to ask you about. One is, what is your take on the um, Governor McKee right now is standing by this? I think it's October 1st, the health care uh, mandate that if you are a frontline worker now, they are protesting. I don't I don't think they're that organized. It could change in the next month. But right now, that's looming out there. He's inviting if you're uh, a former worker, you could come back and still get paid and it won't affect your pension. Uh, but wh- what do you make of these frontline health care workers that. They're right now seemingly going to lose their jobs if they don't get the vaccine. Yeah, well, that's what the <laughs> his executive order allowing retired healthcare workers to go back to work and not take a hit in their pension. I think that the com- comparison of that with the mandate to be vaccinated is is kind of jarring, you know. So on the one hand, we've got a I've got to issue an executive order to. To go past, you know, to override state law uh, because we're having a, a shortage of healthcare workers. On the other hand, here's this this really heavy-handed policy where you're fired if you don't get vaccinated, uh, and we're going to drive maybe hundreds of people out of the out of work. I it just doesn't it doesn't make sense, and it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, where if they can 
there, there have to be ways to compromise, especially if you've got a shortage of workers, you know, compromise, you know, we'll to get an antibody test. Do you have, have you had it? Are you immune? That's good enough. You don't need the vaccine if we know that. Uh, that kind of thing is just an easy way to compromise. Or, or even here, you have to wear this super duper mask all day if that's your preference, or you can get the vaccine. Uh, that At least you keep people working or you give them a, a a separate job, you know, you're, you're at the check-in desk or you're you, whatever the night, the night desk for the, to organize the shift or something like that. I, it just, it blows my mind the way they're handling this because it, it makes no sense not to let people make their own decisions, especially when you're saying you have a shortage during a supposed healthcare crisis of healthcare workers. You, you cater to them as much as you can and not mandates, but mandates are just, it's the way things are right now. It's what they want. And I think that's, as, as I've said before, I think a lot of it comes back to the constituency, heavily, very liberal, heavily in the Democrat party. Uh, the constituency isn't as concerned about COVID-19 in my view. They they are mostly panicked that when it comes down to it, government may not have the ability to do whatever it is they want government to do. Uh, and I think that's kind of the only explanation I can come up with is that McKee and, and other Democrats are proving that they have the power to force you to do something. Uh, and that's just not, that's not a way to, to manage uh, something as complex as a pandemic. And Justin, finally, uh, the Republican Party, they did file an ethics complaint against Governor McKee, uh, Chief of Staff Tony Silva, and in some way that kind of sparked him to then announce he was going to have the state police and the attorney general look into it. I think um, I mean, I think the Republican Party, uh, as long as they act in a watchdog role like that, we've seen other situations. That's that's how, uh, you know, Jeff Britt ended up um, basically going to trial and the whole situation with the mailer and Shauna Lawton and Matty Yellow. So. I thought that was a, a positive for the Republican Party. Yes, well, well, definitely, and it's it's a good indication of why there you really need to foster a healthy opposition uh, in your political system to keep that fire on. It is a little worrying that it keeps jamming up moderate to conservative Democrats, but uh, you know that's just the the way the chips are falling right now. But uh, that said, I do I do think it's a sign of health, uh, un, an unhealthy political atmosphere that it's the party itself is involved in kind of these legal battles. I mean, they don't have a whole lot by way of manpower and resources. And I know from personal experience in in my local activities, when you're involved in lawsuits and complaints and that kind of thing, it it eats up your resources of time, effort, not only in court or making cases to the ethics commission, but also putting out PR and marketing and doing interviews about that. That takes up a lot of time that arguably the party itself could be better spending fostering candidate, finding candidates, you know, helping them get established, that sort of thing. But it, I, that's not the fault of the party. It's the fault of our political system that isn't generating, say, a, a nonprofit that can be out there doing this stuff instead. And that that's a, a very, it's a, it's, well, it's beyond, we're beyond canary in a coal mine at this point. But the fact that there aren't volunteer and or reasonably well-funded nonprofits out there doing this kind of watchdog role, which honestly the news media could have once done that. Um, that's, that's a sign that we're, we're not doing something uh, right. And that people kind of should get more involved if they're concerned about this stuff and not just applaud the GOP, but let's start saying, well, what, what's missing here? Who, who else could be doing this while the GOP does its more political electoral job? Folks, he is the uh, managing editor, AnchorRising.com, Justin Katz. Justin, great job. As always, stay safe, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. Talk to you soon. For all your tree needs, call the tree trimming experts in Lincoln. It's Yankee Tree Service. Call them today for a free quote, 401-439-6028. Yankee Tree Service, 401-439-6028. Fully insured tree removal company with a licensed arborist yankee tree service they provide various tree services including tree removal pruning land clearing stump grinding and bobcat service check out their website yankeetreeservice.com whether it's for tree removal or stump grinding 
Yankee Tree Service provides stump grinding so you can enjoy your landscape without the eyesore of old stumps. Tree pruning. You know, many times a tree just needs to be pruned instead of completely cut down. The licensed arborists with Yankee Tree Service, they'll help you decide what's the best treatment plan for your tree. Emergency service or bucket truck service. They'll get up in the bucket. Call Yankee Tree Service today for a free quote. 401 439-6028 or online at yankeetreeservice.com If you've been thinking about updating your website or if you have questions about how to get the most out of social media for your business, you could receive a free consultation from a local digital marketing professional. And she's been doing this work for 25 years. Contact Karen Etchells at InnoVest Digital Marketing. She will help you better position your brand on the web to engage visitors and get results. She's local and responsive. Give Karen a call for a free consultation at 401 401- 321-2799. That's 401-321-2799. Or find Karen on the web at www.innovast.com. Mega Logistics. They're there to help you. Give them a call today. 401-431-2300. MEGA Mega Logistics. If you have freight, you need freight, goods, third-party brokerage for your company, warehousing and transportation. How about custom freight, supply chain management, routing, bill auditing, customer developing, proven track record with Fortune 500 companies. You can depend on MEGA, MEGA Logistics. Call them today, 401-431-2300. 401-431-2300. Does that sound like your company? Maybe you have freight or you need freight goods third-party brokerage, warehousing, transportation, custom freight. They have the experience. Call them today. MEGA Logistics, 401-431-2300. You're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. Weekdays, we start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Now, remember, if you want to get a hold of me, easiest thing to do is log on to my website depetro.com d-e-p-e-t-r-o.com now there you can if you want to listen to the program listen live you can also contact me that way that's the easiest way to get me an email if you'd like to advertise on the show we also have all our links to social media we have uh, links to twitter or facebook or instagram are also on YouTube. You can also read many of the exclusive stories that we do. We have exclusive video. You can also shop and get some of the merchandise. And at the same time, if you ever miss an episode of the John DePietro show, if you ever miss a segment, you just log on and right at the top, it says radio show. Click onto that. It'll bring you right there and you can listen. It's all in a library fashion. It all starts by logging right on at DePietro.com in an accident someone hits your vehicle it's damaged in some way pick up the phone and call west fountain auto body 401-272-3340 they're located 400 west fountain street in providence folks as you're riding along you just never know you could be dealing with a drunk driver someone not paying attention how about the people texting and driving if you ever damage your vehicle call west fountain auto body 401-272-3340 3340. Several reasons. One, they'll handle everything for you. Two, they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. And three, they'll make your car. It'll look like it just rolled out of the showroom. West Fountain Auto Body. Call them 401-272-3340. Did someone damage your vehicle? Whether it's a small fender bender or nearly totaled vehicle, West Fountain will restore your vehicle, get it back on the road. Call them today, 401 401- 272-3340. And remember, if you're having an accident, first thing you want to do, call the police, fill out a police report. If the tow truck shows up, tell them, let's get this vehicle over to West Fountain, 401-272-3340.